Last week we talked about what would happen if we lived a sanctified life, a life that was set apart for our king. And that's what we just heard. Take my life and make it yours. Well, this morning uh, we're going to finish our series for This We Have Jesus with um, arguably the, the most difficult and the most unending topic of them all to discuss. And I'm going to do my best to cover with broad strokes the, the key foundational points of how do we handle suffering. There's no easy way to say it, but suffering is very real in this world in with which we find ourselves. Uh, last week, just before we entered into a time of worship, a man filled with great hatred walked into a bar in southern Orlando in Florida and shot and killed 50 people, severely injuring another 40-plus some, uh, and more are expected to die. We find ourselves living in that world. In the past three weeks, I have found, uh, found out from numerous friends and family members and loved ones of physical illnesses or ailments that continue to grow worse, not better. And that's hard. It's hard for my heart. And I want to say, God, why? As we all do. Um, my doctor called me on Wednesday and or she texted me sometime last week. I don't remember. And she said, how you doing? And my first proclivity was to lie because I want to say I'm great, but I don't feel great all the time. And neither do you. It's part of the aging process. It's part of our bodies breaking down. Now, hopefully we're taking care of ourselves, we're exercising, eating right, doing all those things, uh, that that happens. And then we think about the world around us where there is so much hatred. If we say we love Jesus, the attack that might come and say, you don't understand, or you are intolerant, or you are this, or you are that, and we find ourselves in very much what scholars are calling a post-Christian world. What does that mean? It means since, uh, Matt Chandler says, really since about 380 AD, we have lived in a period where Christendom has been looked upon favorably. In other words, it has been a prevailing worldview that has been sought after by governments and by decision makers throughout the world. Has it been the only one? No. But throughout the past, doing the math, 1,800 years or so, we have, uh, 1,700, math is bad, nope, 1,600, there we go, 1,600 years, we have lived in a time where overall, this has been seen as a healthy way to learn how to live in this world. Now, when this first started, they didn't have this. Remember, Gutenberg didn't give us the printing press until the 1400s. But the law that we've talked about all morning, we've sung about all morning, has been the prevailing guiding post. Last week, we talked about that foundation on which we stand that never moves. This. Ladies and gentlemen, the world we find ourselves in today says this has no value whatsoever. Our governments are pushing it to the side. Our churches are finding ways to sing about themselves as much as we sing about God. Our Christians are afraid to proclaim the reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus because people might not like us. And you know what? The governments push God out. The people say, I have no need of you. And an interesting thing has happened as we've seen persecution increase 
historically. When we've gotten comfortable as a church, you know what has happened to the church? It has shrunk, it has gotten smaller, and it has gotten weaker. When we have faced suffering and trials of many kinds, you know what has happened to the church? It's gotten stronger. It has turned back to the Lord and said, God, you are my only hope. And so today we're going to look at some various aspects of the scriptures and what they teach us about suffering. But I want you to understand that I am not promising you freedom from suffering. Because God's word doesn't. In fact, Jesus Christ himself, shortly before he suffered such inestimable pain and suffering. Oh, and by the way, here, I'm going to skip the announcements. We'll do those later. Um, I'll I'll tell you about them at the end. Uh, I'm so excited to preach this. This has been bottled up for six weeks and it's time. But Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Yay, Mike, thanks for a great Father's Day sermon. Ladies and gentlemen, in this world, you will have trouble. I've been sitting in some meetings recently, which you all know are my favorite thing in all the world to do. And in in many of the meetings, people ask, how did it get to this point? And they're not all the same type of meeting. There's many different meetings I go to. Um, But often that question is asked, how did it get to that point? And I want to start there. I want to start with the simple basis for how a Christian can approach and deal with suffering and how we can not only understand and accept suffering, but we can actually do something that we don't like to consider. We can suffer well. And that's kind of the, t- the, the title of my message this morning. So bear with me. I'm going to try to cover a lot of ground, but I want to encourage you that we are invited to suffer well. For this, we have Jesus. You you see the second part of what Jesus says, in this world you will face trials and troubles of many kind, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So when we think about suffering, many people want to ask the, the why question, and I'll start with that. Why is there suffering in this world? Because we are in this world. And we are broken. Now, I want to be very clear that you understand the difference between causality and between the fact that we have a sinful nature. There are two different things we're going to talk about. Uh, Sometimes your personal sin will cause you physical harm or mental anguish. It should. It's sin. And sin is horrible. But... Since the beginning of humanity, since the moment Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, sin has infected our world. Evil entered into our world. And as time goes by, and in this post-Christian world we find ourselves, we accept sin more and more. And that has a dastardly effect on the world around us. What used to be black and white is now not even gray, it's just obtuse for everyone to interpret in their own way, shape, or form. But here's the thing. The scriptures are very clear, and they teach us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So if we think about just those two facts to start with, for all have sinned, and we know what is the ultimate result of sin. Anybody? Death. Again, really encouraging start to the sermon. The wages of sin is death. 
Sin has consequences and it affects our physical world. Impacted by our physical world, generations of sinful behaviors come the fact that humanity has made choices that affect humanity that hurt us. We haven't taken care of our environment. We suffer from things like asthma. Now, I'm not going to get into the argument of is there global warming or not. It's very warm out, so the globe is warm today. There's as much as I understand of that, okay? But here's what I do understand. That as humanity continues to make decisions that please humanity singly and not look out for one another, we will continue to cause pain and suffering upon one another. It's what happened in a bar in Orlando. It's what happens when Boko Haram goes in in Africa and steals women and children and makes them their slaves. And it's what happened when a, when a Christian gets on Facebook and attacks the world with great hatred and vitriol instead of responding to situations with love. We spread the evil out of our sinful nature. But we don't have to. There's more. For the second part of those verses that Paul wrote, for the wages of, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But when we think about suffering, we have to understand that suffering is a result of a broken world. And that therefore suffering is with us. And as, as such, it can be either used as a tool with which we lament and say, God, why have you punished us so? Or we can learn from it. Today we're going to choose to learn from suffering. And I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to sit here and say, whatever you face uh, means that all of your suffering you're going to find to be completely easy and it's going to get all better. But I am going to promise that by the end of this message, you're going to see there's hope in our suffering. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Uh, He talks about suffering and finding meaning in the suffering. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. What does that mean? He means that when we face pain, we have to give attention to it. How many of you have ever had a paper cut? If not, go ahead and grab your bulletin and just slice and then wait three minutes. And you would think that you just chopped off a limb. Why? Because paper cuts are horrible and they hurt, and they're, they're usually at your fingertips, so they're at the worst possible position, and they remind you of their pain every time you do anything with that finger, right? That's what pain does. It reminds you. One scholar says pain reminds us that we're alive. God uses pain in a much bigger way. God uses pain And whispers in our pleasures, C.S. Lewis says, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What do I mean by that? When our world and society often faces cataclysmic events, what happens to church attendance? It explodes. Uh, I am an American. Therefore, for the rest of my life, the date 9-11 will be forever on my heart. And you know what happened in the weeks that followed 9-11? People all over the world went to church like never before. 
Why? Because they were looking to find meaning in suffering. They were looking to find meaning in why are these bad things happen? And there's got to be hope somewhere in all my worldview, even though I'm telling God I don't need him. God, help me. And we're seeing that commonly. People are desperate to know there's meaning in life. And God sometimes uses a megaphone to speak to us in our suffering. Sometimes suffering is just that. It's just painful. But it's never just anything for the person going through it. It's deep. It has meaning. And it's meant to draw us back to God. For every Christian, no matter what. What do I mean by that? Well, Ravi Zacharias tells us that to understand suffering, you have to have an argument. The argument starts with the question for us today is why suffering? And you can watch some great videos that I'll tell you about later on that explain this in better detail than I'm going to. Uh, But the second part is he said you need a story. And so we're going to start with a story found in John chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 3. As he went along, uh, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened, what's that say? So that the works of God might be displayed in him. So what you're saying, Mike, is that sometimes God uses physical brokenness and difficult circumstances in life to bring people back to God? Absolutely. But instead of me telling you about it, I want you to hear from somebody that is living this out as we speak. So watch the screens, please. We go into the hospital, and, and Michael is born in, uh, in traumatic fashion, and we very soon, about four minutes after his birth, were surprised to learn that he had Down syndrome. And that completely changed, you know, turned our world upside down. We didn't, we weren't anticipating that and, uh, and didn't really know how to be parents of anybody with Down syndrome. And uh, we soon found out that he would be in need of uh, heart surgery, open heart surgery. He had a severe heart defect that would require surgery within the next four months. Uh, we learned that uh, he had profound hearing loss and um, profound deafness in one ear and severe deafness in the other ear that would have to be addressed eventually. And uh, an array of other issues that have been addressed over the past few years. And he had a, a consult schedule to determine what kind of hearing aid he would need. And if it didn't work, that they would have to remove it and he would lose that hearing forever. Um, all range of hearing. And my wife, uh, Sarah, felt very strongly that she needed to bring him to a prayer meeting that was going to be in New York. Um, and we talked about whether or not, this is right before tour started, whether or not it made sense for her to go and drive all the way there by herself. Uh, whether she should bring Michael or not. And we ultimately decided that she should do that. Uh, and, and she brought him to the front on a Friday night. The following Monday was going to be his, um, his, his test. And keep in mind that we had multiple tests all throughout the past year, and they always came back with the results of flatline hearing, just uh, n- no hearing showing up on the, on the tests whatsoever in both ears. Uh, and she said that during the, during the prayer up at the altar, he began to cry, and she wasn't quite sure why. Of course, we had our hopes, but maybe he was tired, any number of things. Maybe he was hungry. Um, the next morning, my wife calls me. I'm back at home in Pittsburgh. She calls me from New York from the hotel crying, um, saying that she called Michael by name as he was playing on the hotel room floor. He turned his head for the first time in 14 months, acknowledging um, her calling his name. And uh, we started to have this ray of hope that maybe he could hear. I held him on Sunday morning during worship back in Pittsburgh, and after the singing was over, he was singing alone. And I was just we were asking him, buddy, can you hear? Can you hear? And we, uh, we got clinical proof on Monday morning um, as the graph uh, 
my wife called me with an image of a graph that showed spikes and peaks and valleys and mountains with a full range of perfect hearing. And she called me. I'll never forget this moment because I answered the phone and it was her. And she hardly said anything on the other end of the line. The only word she could get out was perfect. Perfect. And it took me about 15 seconds to be able to respond because I was so choked up. He has perfect range of, uh, full range of hearing um, perfectly. And it just blew my mind that God chose to heal in that sense. God chose to heal. And this is the same Jesus that we sing to week after week. The same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. You are the Jesus who healed my boy. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You will reign forever. What an encouragement it is to know that even though God does not choose to always heal, that he can, he is able, he is willing to touch and make us whole. And one day he will make all things right. That's the God we Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Isaiah tells us that our hope, finding hope in God does not disappoint. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Aaron and Sarah... Uh, and I'll tell you a bit more of their story as we progress this morning, were faced with a decision. Suddenly their life was no longer what they expected. They were not prepared to have a special needs child. They were not prepared to have a deaf child, let alone one with Down syndrome. And they could have done a number of things. They could have done what I have seen many do and get angry and bitter and think that the world is against them. But what did Aaron and Sarah do that I wanted us to learn from by watching that? They went to the Lord. And they said, God, help us. And notice that Aaron said, God chose to heal in this case, but he doesn't always. And we will trust him regardless because he's God. The part of the story I didn't tell you is I have known Aaron since college. He was uh, my beach volleyball partner in university. I was his sound guy before he was big and famous and all that stuff. And he's always been this way. He's always been a man that says, I'm going to put my hope and my faith in the Lord and we'll see where he takes us. And he's followed that journey. When we face suffering of any kind, one of the great indicators of where our heart's affections lie is who do we turn to first? God invites us, as the scripture that I repeat almost every Sunday in this sermon, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest for I am meek and humble and you can find safety in me. That's the micros translation. But we don't do that. We go try to fix everything ourselves. We try to remedy it in our own strength. And then when all other solutions have failed, then it's God help us. But is that how the Bible teaches us to deal with suffering? Is that how God teaches us through people like Aaron and Sarah? By the way, surprising to to me is uh, every day I was at Moody Bible Institute for the pastor's conference. That's who I had coffee with. But you see, we think that as we look at Aaron and Sarah smiling there, that all is good in the world, correct? 
Well, that day we had just sat down and we'd had coffee and we'd prayed together uh, and we'd had a great time. I had only met Sarah once because uh, I left the area long before uh, they were married for very long. And uh, as we were catching up, they, they shared with me, and I've got their permission to share more of the story because about a couple months ago, Michael had shown signs of hair loss. Uh, and there's a, a medical term for it that I don't remember, but that, given all of his other conditions, uh, often indicated that he was facing an autoimmune deficiency uh, of some sort. In other words, his body would not be able to fight off disease and infection at all. And so on top of everything else, they were faced with a new problem. And yet Aaron was walking in three times a day, four times a day with a group of a thousand pastors and giving praise to our God and Father who is in heaven. And he did it with all sincerity. And then he would go home and he would wait for the phone call and the test results. Aaron has continued to cry out in songs like, my Savior, my God, I am not skilled to understand, but my hope is in you, Lord. And we're, we're going to hear that song at the very end of our service. And what, did, what do we know about a guy like Aaron and a woman like Sarah? Well, two years ago, child services, child protective services in America came in and said that we have heard that you're not fit parents. Your kids are too sick. Uh, their middle child, Michael or uh, Caleb, uh, has, uh, had had aspiration, which fluid gets into your lungs and he couldn't digest food and all sorts of number of things. On top of that, Michael uh, was going to the hospital all the time. And so clearly Aaron and Sarah, Aaron being touring, teaching people about worshiping God of all things uh, is gone. And Sarah's clearly not a fit mother. So Child Protective Services must need to come in and intervene. So for an entire year, Aaron is trying to be faithful and provide for his family as he travels and tours and writes and does these things, while Sarah faces an investigation into their li- every ounce of their lives. At what point do you say, God, I've had enough? And they didn't. They went back to Romans chapter 5. And they proclaimed this and they committed to living this out again. I've got their permission. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. The sufferings, the unknown of finding out, would their children be taken away from them? Would Michael be taken away from them? All of these unknowns that they faced, every single time they went to the Lord first. Now, Did they ever struggle? Were they ever disappointed and and struggling with doubt and and confusion and hurt and pain? Absolutely. You talk to Aaron and Sarah and you can see it in their eyes. It's been hard. But I'm telling you this story because I know many of you have faced struggles of many times. And there is hope that's developed through suffering. It's not always easy, but God never leaves us. He's never leaving us alone. We've been adopted as Christians, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And he says, I've got you. I will hold you close and never let you go. But you see, the thing is, sometimes we consider people like Sarah, and I know it's horrible for you to say this and you wouldn't want to say it out loud, but we think, well, clearly they've done things wrong. In the back of our minds, we think that, well, they must have sinned somehow. It it happens, doesn't it? We get these thoughts in our minds that somehow that we have sinned, therefore we deserve what we 
face and what we suffer. And this question was asked to Jesus. And how did Jesus respond? Uh, He already said, no, their sin did not cause that child to be this way. But that child is this way to point us to the glory of God. And that's what Aaron and Sarah say about Michael. But then another person dared ask uh, or, or had another statement for Jesus in Luke, 15, in Luke 13. Uh, the Israelites uh, were facing great persecution from Pilate, from Caesar, from all over the world. And people were killing them. And these Galileans uh, were killed uh, for their faith. Uh, for the fact that they were Jews. And Jesus looks and he says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? No. He says, be very careful what you're doing here. And and I'm going to read you a a little insight from Tim Keller in a minute. But then he goes on and he says, think southeast. Southeast for them was the corner of Jerusalem called the area of Siloam, the pool of Siloam, which is where another miraculous healing happened. But he says, think about there in a tower. We know nothing of this tower. It's the only time in history that we have heard about this tower. But a tower fell down. And people were killed because this tower has fallen down. And listen to what Jesus says. Are these 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will also perish. Now, we can relate to a a situation like the towers of Siloam falling. Because have you ever walked around the streets of Hong Kong and seen something fall dangerously close to you because of construction happening overhead? Oh, come on. I've been hit by more zip ties than I know what to do with. Uh, And I've seen bricks land right next to me. And I think, what in the world if I'd only been an inch away? We've seen this. We see it all the time. Or how do those cranes stay up? How does bamboo hold and scaffolding? I don't understand. We face dangers of every time. Every time we look up, we have more skyscrapers than anywhere in the world. That means there's more transfer danger. That's how a city bo- uh, country boy like me thinks of it. But the question is being posed. These guys got what's coming to them, right? No, Jesus said. Sin is sin. We are all sinful. We all deserve what they got. We all deserve death. Do we understand that? As Christians, what if we came back to the very holiness of God that calls out sin and calls it what it is? Evil and horrible and despicable in the eyes of God and should be in our own eyes. I know that's scary. I told the illustration last night and my dad will be so proud because I'm going to give it again this morning. But we know that sin is sin, right? And you're all going to agree with me because you showed up at church today. So you're going to go ahead and take that. And we get the big things that we we know that uh, obviously sin in that form didn't cause Michael uh, to be born that way. God isn't punishing Aaron and Sarah. He's rather using Michael as a tremendous testimony. Absolutely true. Uh, And so we get that. But then we think about other sins and we think these ones over here are optional, right? How many of you drive a car? Raise your hand if you drive a vehicle. Now, there are these white signs throughout the city and they have black numbers on them. And those black numbers, usually there's two. Every once in a while there's three. Those are good days. Uh, And when there's two, those two numbers or three numbers indicate something. Can anyone tell me what they indicate? A speed what? A speed limit. Now, 
We know the scriptures tell us that unless it is an exact opposite of God's law, in other words, unless it is contrary to the law of God, we are to obey man's law, correct? Pay Caesar what is Caesar's, pay God what is God's. You get the idea. Okay, now the government of the Hong Kong Special Special Administrative Region has set the stupidly slow speed limit of 70 kilometers an hour along the Ma Shan Bypass insanely slow. No need you should have to go that slow, right? Who's with me? Yeah, there's a couple of you in here. So because the right thing to do clearly would be to go the speed that I'm comfortable with and can control my car in, that's fine, right? Yeah, you're all shaking your head. You agree with me because the minute you don't agree with me, you know what's coming next. The reality is every time I put my foot on the gas and go 71, I am breaking God's law. But I've justified that, whether it's I'm in a hurry or I know I'm going to get really slowed down once I get on Sai Sha Road, which is the road that leads to Sai Kung and is only two lanes and it's horrible, or whatever the excuse is, I've got a good reason. Therefore, God won't mind if I sin in just this way. Jesus is saying, no, sin is sin, repent and come back to me. Don't try to gauge which sin is worse than the other. Call it out, bring it out into the open, repent and don't die. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, as we think about suffering, don't get mad at the people under the tower. Don't get mad at the God above the tower. Get mad at the evil and the sin that's in the world. That's the reason towers are falling on people. Sin leads us to behaviors that are not holy. Sin leads us to destruction. This entire book bores that out, that there are only two paths. Sin and the reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Only two choices. Suffering can only be faced from two alternatives. From putting our hope and our faith and our trust in God and saying, as you refine me, as you shape me, I will put my trust in you knowing that you will get me through. Ravi Zacharias, oh, yeah, Ravi Zacharias says it's, I skipped a verse somehow, sorry. There we go. Ah, see, because when we face suffering, not only do we have to admit that, yes, I'm sinful, or that person, uh, I think they got what's coming to them. That's not how we're called to live. We are called to live in the reality that sin has broken our world, and therefore we get to invite others into the grace and the hope and the freedom that we have in Christ. And that maybe, as hard as it is, Maybe the suffering that you face right now might be showing someone the light of Christ. Not all of you might remember when my, young, when my oldest was little, but she was a very sick kid, not um, uh, critically ill, just chronically ill. She had uh, symptoms of asthma, but she was too young for it to be called that, where she would cough for 45 minutes until she could no longer stand. And it just broke our hearts. But you know, out of that, Melissa and I had to learn something. We had to learn that God gave us this beautiful little kid that was stubborn as all get out. If you've met her, you wouldn't think that about her now, but just try. And God had a plan for her. And God 
in using that beautiful little girl was drawing us back to dependence on him. Now, amazingly, the rest of the story is that God challenged Melissa and I to ask the elders, would you anoint our daughter? And she hasn't had an asthma attack like that since. In fact, now she's a distance runner. That's God teaching us and bringing us back to him and saying, I've got this. But you know, many of you have been praying, and this is just personal because I don't know how to do it another way. But we've been praying for healing in this room of many. Uh, I've longed to see Shirley without oxygen by now knowing that she has been completely healed. I've longed for Joshua Chu to be with us uh, with the surgery to put the plate back in his head and to be completely recovered. I've longed for and fill in the blank and sometimes God tells us that healing will come in a different way or that we are to be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. He's giving us an idea that sometimes suffering gives us a different perspective. Because we can tend to think this world is all there is, don't we? We can tend to forget that we were created for eternity. You know what that means? No, you don't, because I don't. And because none of us fully grasp infinity. It's like the square root of pi. We can't get it. It just goes on forever. Infinity, eternity, we can't grasp this side of it because we are bound to the temporal We are bound to the time we face. So when we face suffering, it is so painful and so right in our face that we can't possibly think there's more. But James, if you go through the book of James, it's all about these choices we're faced with between facing to trust the world or choosing to trust in the world or trust in the way of the Lord. And as we do, we find where our hope lies. And James is promising the early church that, yeah, you're going to suffer. But be patient then in the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? Just over two years ago, we said goodbye to a dear friend of mine, Wilson. And we begged and begged and begged God to heal him. And God did not see fit to heal him in the physical sense in this world. But one of the last conversations I was able to have with Wilson, he told me, I can't wait to go home. I know that I'm being healed. He didn't doubt that. And God had given him a glimpse of what he was going toward. And Wilson faced that suffering with great courage, knowing that healing was coming, that this world wasn't all there was that he was going to so much more. His cares then turned to making sure his family knew the same. Just like the farmer waiting for the crops to blossom and bloom. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You know, God invites you right now. Uh, Even before the service, I was talking to someone and I can see joy in her face even as she faces chronic and very, very difficult pain today and right now and it's gotten better, but she's chosen to persevere and trust the Lord with that and I thank God for that. And that's what we're called to do. And we're, we're reminded of Job. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. What does he mean? Job 42. If you've got your Bibles open there, if you've got your di- digital device, go there. You've got, go to your middle of your Bible and then turn right a few pages and you'll come right before Psalms. In Job in chapter 42, 
finally comes to the end of things. Just like in Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon comes to the end of things and says, God is God and I'm not. Job says it like this, Job 42 verses 1 through 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, which I think is pretty amazing, that he got to have a conversation with God and survive. I know that you can do all things. The Hebrew meaning there is, I know you are sovereign. What does sovereign mean? Well, sovereign means that we are subject to God's control over all of the world, created and uncreated alike. And he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely (laughs) I spoke of things I did not understand. We ever do that? Things too wonderful for me to know. Do we ever think that we know enough? (laughs) Think of it like this. Have you ever gone into your boss and told them what they needed to know? And they look back at you with that knowing glance of one, they already knew that, and two, they knew oh so much more that you had no idea. That ever happened to you? Liars. Yes, it happens to us. We're humans. We always think we know more than our boss. It's part of our nature. And you walk in and we find out there's so much of the story that's been written that we had no idea of. Because we were thinking about this one part. We were thinking about this one thing. And Job has come to the place where he's like, holy cow, there's so much more. And God has restored Job miraculously. God had taken care of Job. God had never left Job. God invited Job's doubt and dealt with it as only a holy God could. And Job's response is priceless I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And then he says, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And right back to where we started. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This isn't a woe is me, poor me. Look at how terrible I am. This is, I have seen the person of God and realize in his holiness, I bring nothing to him. I need him. He doesn't need me. So in my suffering, I kept thinking it was about me. And now I see that God was doing so much more. Let me ask you a question. Some thousands of years on, do you think Job is up in eternity, up in heaven right now thinking, man, I wish I didn't have to go through that. You think that thought even crosses his mind? No way. Job is enjoying the fullness of the presence of God right now. Whom have I in heaven but you? God's absolute right to do all things was something that Job wrestled with, and it's why God gave us the book of Job. It's a hard read, but it's an important read for us. Another important read for us comes uh, from the author Asaph. And I don't have time to read to you all 
of Psalm 73. So I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version or the Spark Notes version or whatever, uh, the Wikipedia version, I guess you could call it now. And in Psalm 73, Asaph looks out and the bottom line is, why do the evil prosper and the good suffer? Have we ever asked that question? Do we ask that question right now? I do. And Asaph, for a number of verses, 20-some verses, goes on. And it gets to him. And maybe, maybe this is where you are right now. You look around at the brokenness of the world, the sinfulness of the world, and, and you know that you are sinful, but you also know that you've been forgiven, that our sins have been tossed into, be remem- into the ocean to be remembered no more because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But we see this world crumbling under self-love and self-sufficiency, and we just wish we could fix it. And we begin to lament and we begin to be discouraged and we begin to lose heart. And that's what Asaph says. He says, when my heart was grieved. Think about that. Of your circumstances right now, many of you may find a grieving heart. When my spirit was embittered, I am angry at what happened in Orlando. I am angry at what is going on in Northern Africa. I am angry at what is happening in the Middle East. I am angry at what is happening in this city. And I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. If you go and you look at my old profile pics on Facebook, there's one I love because it gives this spiritual metaphor to me. Uh, Izzy was two years old, I believe, and she loved wearing a Supergirl outfit, you know, Supergirl. So she had the full-on cape and she would wear that around. And there's a picture of her holding my right hand and us walking through town together, my little superhero and her dad. And in her mind, her dad could help her face anything that life might throw at it. In the same way, we're the little super kid and our God is holding us by his hand, guiding us through every circumstance, through every bit of pain and every bit of circumstance so that we can say this, what Asaph says next. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. That's part of our problem with suffering is we keep thinking that I want more in this world and lose sight of what God has for us eternally. And Asaph says, no. Whom have I in heaven but you? My heart and my flesh may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Everything around us might crumble. You might get that diagnosis you feared for yourself or for a loved one today. You might find out that you've lost the stability that you had come to trust in. You might find out that a relationship that you'd put your faith in has been broken beyond repair, it seems. You might find out that the world doesn't understand your love for Christ and there are people that are living to make you miserable. So what can we do with suffering of these kinds and many more that I haven't listed? Well, based on the scriptures that we've learned, there's a few things we can glean from it. And the first is this, suffering. Remember when Jesus says, just like the tower, when you suffer, 
repent or perish. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, God constantly told the people of Israel, come back to me. Suffering, whether it's a result of choices we have made or usually as it is the case, it's not. It's because of the broken world we live and find ourselves in. Suffering draws us to God, to his sovereign glory and our dependence on him. When we realize that we can't do it on our own, where do we turn? Sometimes God allows us to suffer to bring us back to himself. I know it's a hard thing to understand and to grasp, but he's been doing it throughout the scriptures and continues to do it. He draws us back to himself. James chapter 5, as we read, says that suffering invites patience. What does that mean? It means, in a a passage we didn't really get to, it means that when we understand we're living in the kingdom of the already, Jesus has already come, but he hasn't yet returned, and the not yet, he hasn't brought things fully to completion, to the end of all things in the way it is currently, to the end of the broken, sinful world, and to the resumption of the new heavens and the new earth, glory brought down to us. We wait in eager anticipation of our complete healing and restoration. And while we do, we learn patience. I know nobody wants like that. I get it. Patience is hard. But as we suffer, we learn to either try to fix it ourselves, which usually just makes it worse, or to put our hope in him, who is full of love and compassion, the scriptures tell us. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They guide me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path that even in the darkest of moments, I will trust in you. Suffering invites patience that depends on the Lord for hope. Suffering also reminds us that our hope is found only in Christ. That's simple. We can't save ourselves. I cannot open myself up and fix my stomach problems any more than I can fix the brokenness of situations around me but I can depend on the Lord, my God and my King, who looked upon my sin and took it upon himself so that I might not have to pay for it. That's who he is. He took it upon himself so that for all eternity we might enjoy him and we might be with him. The suffering that we face right now is temporary. It will not last. I know that's hard but our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in him alone and it points us to eternity. And then finally, and I want to finish with this, James chapter five, uh, and I think some of your translations do it a disservice because in the old translations it says, is any one of you suffering? He should pray. Now it says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. And it seems to lose it because James has just been talking about suffering and then they change the word. I think it's good for us to remember that is any one of us suffering? What should we do? I'm going to try this again because I think this part's kind of important and it's written right there. Maybe your, your eyes are going and you can't see very well. You can borrow my glasses later. Um, Is any one of you suffering? And probably in some way, shape, or form, most of us are. Yes. 
He should pray. Let's do that. Lord, we trust you with every ounce of our being. We put our hope and our faith in you. I don't understand all of the whys of suffering, but I do understand you are God. And the who of suffering says there is hope to be found in you and in you alone. And so I will put my trust in you. Lord, forgive us for thinking that we don't need you. Forgive us for thinking that somehow our suffering pulls us away from you. Help us to depend on you with whatever we face. For all of these things, we have Jesus, Lord. Please don't let us ever forget that. In your name.